Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Our Hope Restored sermon series continues. Today, First Pres Executive Coordinator Jenny Sung helps us better appreciate what Jesus did for us on the cross. First, with our scripture reading, here's Helen Palmore. I will be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verses 33 to 41. At noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, this woman had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Helen. Boy, some of you are doing the um, Just Show Up JSU public reading of scripture. I wish we had Helen at like every JSU. Forget Denzel Washington, although I love Jim Caviezel. Man, Helen, Helen. My name is Jenny Sung, I'm the executive coordinator and one of the lay pastors on staff, and it is a joy and a privilege to share God's word with you today. Thank you. We had Easter worship service last week, and boy, was it just a celebration of the risen Lord, right? He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. risen Yes! Do you remember the first worship song when Leon Let us through Jesus' final moments. He sang, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there? And the last verse, when he rose up from the dead. Sometimes I feel like shouting, glory, glory, glory. It's the week after Easter. We come, we look at our verses today, and we read, my God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, wow, that's kind of down, huh? We may even be feeling like, what? There's a reason, I don't want. It's kind of like there's darkness and abandonment and pain. But isn't that just like what happens sometimes in life? Maybe we have this you know, big party or a big convention. Maybe it's a retreat, this big high, and it's so awesome. 
But after the confetti has fallen, after the big high, sometimes there's still everyday struggles. If things can be hard, maybe you're back with the person that you just can't seem to get along with. You come home and the bills are still stacked and overdue. The negative boss is still being a jerk. Family members are still fighting. And it's in the midst of the struggle that we know Jesus knows our pain. And he's with us in our everyday lives, in the ups and the downs. But you know, it's not just that he knows our pain. Oh, it's way beyond that. It's that Jesus took our pain and sin and darkness and chose the path that leads us back to God. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. Jesus was separated utterly alone so that ultimately we would never be alone. When we celebrate Easter and the risen Lord, we remember it's just the beginning. N.T. Wright, theologian and author of the book Simply Jesus, wrote, the Easter stories come at the end of the four gospels, but they're not about an end, they're about a beginning. The beginning of God's new world, the beginning of the kingdom, God is now in charge on earth as it is in heaven. It's in this light this new beginning, that we understand where we stand in this world. N.T. Wright also shared that our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping the world is to announce redemption to a world that's discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, and to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. Redemption, healing, love, trust. Now that's a purpose we can live out on earth, right? With expectation, with passion, with conviction in our lives. So as we remember, the suffering of Christ on the cross, we also hold on to the power of the resurrection the freedom and the proclamation and love and trust in the world. Will you pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word on his message today? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming as a suffering servant and giving your life for us. We thank you for laying down your life so that we would never experience an eternity of separation from you. Lord, will you soften our hearts, open our minds and our ears to hear your voice. We long for your truth. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're in the sermon series called Hope Restored. When we ponder what could possibly restore hope in this ever broken, ever fallen world, I think that hope has never been more apparent than understanding the significant, cosmic, eternal consequence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
We're in the 15th chapter in the book of Mark, which culminates in a series of events that puts Jesus on the cross. We only have one more chapter left in the book of Mark. There's so much to uncover in our passages for today, but I'd like to focus on three moments of significance with you. First, the forsaken Jesus. Second, the curtain that was torn in two, and those who are mentioned at the scene of the cross. So first, the forsaken Jesus. At the beginning of our passage in verse 33, we see a physical darkness that spreads over the land for like three hours. And there's also a spiritual darkness as the separation of the Son is happening from the Father. Jesus bears the weight of all sin upon himself. When we see the forsaken Jesus, we see him utterly abandoned. Jesus was alone on the cross. In verse 34, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word Shabbatani means you have left me. You meaning the Father, me being the Son. I wonder what must it have felt like, this break from perfect relationship from the beginning of time. We just celebrated our Tenebrae service. It was last Thursday uh, before Easter. We came together for an extended meditation on the Passion of Christ's last days. Our director of young adults, Jeff Page, reflected upon this verse, the verse that we're reading today. And some of you may not have been able to go to the Tenebrae service. So I wanted to share a part of Jeff's beautiful and piercing reflection because he captures the forsaken image of our Lord hanging on that cross. Jeff wrote, it is in this moment that the weight of every evil and cowardly deed, every betrayal, every lie, and every abdication of responsibility settles firmly on the shoulders of Jesus. And worse than that, the Father turns his back on the Son. In this moment, the fountainhead of all loving relationships dries up. The perfect harmony of God, the eternal loving interconnectedness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is torn. The Son is alone without the face of God. God in the flesh is now God forsaken. The divide between humanity and God is bridged as a bottomless chasm opens under Christ. The earth itself quakes as the light of the world is extinguished. It's in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 21, that says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, meaning Jesus, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in a sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus chose the path of the cross. Because of love, he chose the path of separation and bore the weight of all sin upon himself through death in his physical body. And so that we would be free of judgment and be reconciled back to God. 
knowing that we would have eternal separation from God in our sinful state, Jesus became the sacrifice and he took on the horrors of sin and darkness and pain upon himself. He became the human shield bearing all sin. I'd like to share with you a real life story about a 15-year-old boy named Anthony Burgess who in, in a life and death moment chose to barricade a doorway with his body to save his cl fellow classmates. Anthony miraculously survived. You may have heard his story on the news. There's a picture of Anthony here with his family. There's two boys, the younger one, and Anthony is an older boy with kind of the navy blue hoodie that you see there, parents next to him. And there's a, a soccer player, I think he's pretty f famous, uh, Luis Alberto Suarez Diaz is a professional soccer player who plays for the Uruguay national team. Anthony loves soccer. 15-year-old Anthony was shot five times in a school shooting in Parkland, Florida, which killed 17 people on Valentine's Day, 2018. Many news stations and media covered the story, like CNN, NBC, New York Magazine, others. It was Anthony's father who moved his family from Venezuela to Florida. He liked the school district in Parkland. Anthony's father describes the details of that day. Anthony was shot first in the leg and then hauled himself into a classroom, keeping the door shut by propping his back against it. There were about 20 other students inside the classroom at the time. The gunman in the hallway then opened fire through the door, hitting Anthony a number of times in the back before moving on. Anthony was the last of all the survivors to leave the hospital. He suffered massive injuries. He lost a third of his lung. One bullet came dangerously close to his liver. Three bullets went through his legs. He has yet to regain full feeling in one of his feet, which doctors came close to amputating. He'll forever be taking shots for vitamins his body could no longer process after 10 centimeters of his lower intestine was removed. 13 operations later, Anthony is on the road to recovery, and he's learned to walk again. He hopes to play soccer and has dreams of playing professionally one day. In an interview, the soft-spoken 15-year-old shared what was going on in his mind at the moment. Anthony said, that was the moment that I thought I was going to die and close the door. And I did it because as I was going to die, I wanted to give my last moment to the people so that they could save themselves and enjoy life for longer. As we hear this story, we may be horrified to hear of the pain that Anthony went through. As he chose to barricade a door with his body and became a human shield. I actually teared up when I saw this in an interview and I read these words. That he wanted to give his last moments to the people so they could enjoy life longer. It was through this act of sacrifice that Anthony saved about 20 of his classmates who were inside the room that day. I thought about what Anthony went through. And when I read this, I thought about our Jesus, 
who chose to be the human shield, the human sacrifice, not just for 20, not just for those who chose to believe in who he was, not those who were worthy, but Jesus chose to sacrifice his life for all of humanity, for the just and unjust. Pastor Dan shared during the Easter sermon that Jesus was blindfolded, brutally beaten, hit with a stick, and then whipped and then stabbed and then was crucified with nails put in his wrists and ankles onto standing wooden beams to make Jesus suffocate and die over six hours. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With a loud cry, Jesus sacrifices his life. He breathes his last after finishing the mission that he came on earth to do. It is finished. Because of what Jesus did, we are forgiven. We are restored. We're made righteous. And we can have intimate communion and personal relationship and friendship with God. This is what the sacrifice of Jesus removed, that barrier. We have unfettered access to God. This leads me to my next point about direct access to God. It has to do with the curtain being torn open. In verse 38, we read that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So I'm like, well, what, what kind of curtain? Like that kind of curtain? What's this curtain? Well, back then, reading this, everyone would have known that this is the curtain in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Author of the book, Upside Down Kingdom, Donald Craybill, describes the temple like this. It was massive. The temple was the pinnacle of religious life, the very heart of Jewish worship, ritual, and emotion. It was the seed of wisdom, law, and scripture. It housed the one Jewish altar, so inside, in the very center, there was the Holy of Holies, where the Jewish altar was. And then there was a curtain. Um, Tim Keller says it was like four inches thick, and I'm like, how does he know that? So it was like four inches thick, and it was from top to bottom. And it separated this Holy of Holies, the presence of God, from everyone else. And then once a year, this priest, this high priest, performed the sacrificial rites of atonement for the entire Jewish world. That's what he did. And here, and here only, was forgiveness possible with a proper sacrifice. By the way, uh, I really wanted to show this video, but it's just too long for today. But I encourage you, please go to BibleProject.com and look up Sacrifice and Atonement. There's a video you can watch. It's, it's, it's well done. It's really good. It's about sacrifice and atonement and what it meant in the temple and how Jesus came to be the living sacrifice. It really ties it all together beautifully. So if you get a chance, go ahead and study that. Or maybe you can look at it together in your small groups. Verse 38 says, when Jesus died on the cross, there's this veil in the temple, right? The veil that separated the Holy of Holies, the inner chamber where God's spirit was. And that this curtain that separated it just tore in two. Before only the high priest could go behind that veil. And Tim Keller notes in his book, Jesus the King. The curtain separated people from the presence of God. 
The curtain said loudly and clearly that it's impossible for anyone sinful, anyone in spiritual darkness, to come into God's presence. You're not allowed, you can't come. But at the moment Jesus died, the massive curtain we read was just ripped open. There was no barrier anymore. And you now have this direct access to God. That was what the symbolic message of the ripping of the curtain was. That's what it meant. You know, sometimes on weekdays, I'll drop off my kids at school, and then I just pop in to my parents' place. You know, I, I park there, and I go up, and I just kind of drop in, sometimes without a notice, without permission, and I make myself, like, park, go in, and I just stand there, and I'm like, hi, I'm here, good morning. And you know, my parents sometimes are like, oh, they're surprised. And you know, it's not like, you can't come here. What are you doing here? It's usually like, oh, it's Jenny. And you know, my mom, her love language is food. Anybody? Like, your love language is food. She like runs to the kitchen and she'll start making eggs because it's breakfast. And then she opens the fridge and she like empties the entire refrigerator on the table and there's like a mound of food, right? And you know, we just sit there and we enjoy. And we enjoy each other's presence. I love that. And you know how that happens, that I can just park and pop in whenever I like, unannounced? It's that they gave me the keys and the fob to their place. <laughs> so about, this, this is a new place. It was about a month ago. Um, the new high-rise that they moved in is like a fortress. Like you can't get in and it's inaccessible. It's, it's like you, you have to have the special fob to get in anywhere. Like, like to get into the garage, you need the fob. And then like to go into the lobby or to go from the garage to the lobby, you need the fob. And then once you're in the lobby, you need the fob for the elevator. And then once you get into the elevator, you need the elevator fob key for the floor that you're on. And you can't get anywhere without this thing. When they first moved in, they told the manager, for multiple fobs, they're like, we want multiple fobs, we will pay the price. And they gave each one of their children a fob. And my mom told me, here, I paid for this. It's yours. You can come anytime you like. Now I know this may be the weirdest analogy that you've heard, <laughs> but Jesus paid for your fob. <laughs> Do you get it? Jesus paid for your fob so that you can have direct access anytime you wanted to have relationship with God, anytime. Rick Warren in his devotional, Daily Hope, he just says it really simple, I like it. He says, you now have direct access to God. You don't have to pay, pray through anybody else, right? You don't need the high priest. You don't have to confess your sins through anyone else. You don't have to fellowship with God through anyone else. Read your Bible, talk with the Lord, and fellowship directly with him. This is possible, you know, because of what Jesus did. This is why in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, therefore, if anyone is new, is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have direct access to the Father to enjoy communion and relationship with him. Hallelujah. So you can go around today and say, you know Jesus paid for my fob, you know. 
In our last part of our passage for today, we look at the people who are mentioned at the scene of the cross. We find two characters or two groups, right? We find the centurion and then we find all these women. So these two types of characters, or the centurion and woman, you know, they're not necessarily popular to mention or important to mention. You know, it would have been insignificant to mention the woman. The centurion represented the oppression, right? The oppression of the Roman regime. He was a guard that was placed there, a rugged centurion. He represented the enemies that oppressed Jewish life. He's an outside observer. And yet, when the centurion sees what happened, he said, surely, surely, this man was the son of God. We also see women, not just women, but women who are distinctly mentioned by name, right? Women were considered back then property or second-class citizens, unimportant. So this is very unusual that we read the names of the woman, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. These women had cared for Jesus during his ministry, and they are mentioned. But I think when we see this passage, it's quite significant that we see the mention of the centurion and the woman. I mean, where were the disciples, the followers of Jesus? They're not mentioned They're all gone. You know, you've heard before that at the foot of the cross, we are all level. And I would say at the foot of the cross, all are welcome and all are loved. At the foot of the cross, we find those who are on the outside and those considered insignificant. And maybe some of us feel insignificant or unimportant, or some of us are feeling like outsiders but Jesus included us all. Jesus died for us all. His love covers us all. The blood of Jesus was shed for the just and the unjust. The veil was torn just as much for the Jew, the Gentile, those who cared for Jesus, those who rejected him, those who beat him, those placed high in society, and those on the bottom of the totem pole. The all-embracing love of God knows no boundaries. He calls us all to build our lives on him. We can trust in him. Today, as we contemplate the suffering of the forsaken Christ on the cross, we know that through his death, we are forgiven. The price has been paid. We see the veil that was torn, the curtain that was torn, breaking down the barrier bridging the chasm, reconciling us back to God. So what does that mean for the way that we live out our lives today? So what does that mean? How do we live that out? I take us back to the quote in the beginning by N.T. Wright, when he claimed that our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption, healing, love, and trust to a world in need. Some of us are doing that on a daily basis, announcing redemption, healing, trust, and love in broken areas. There are some of us who um, are really practical 
we kind of want more practical application kind of how-tos. And so I do have some practical habits. This is from Michael Frost. He's a missiologist, pastor, author of the book, Surprise the World. Missiologist just means he alerts people to the mission of God in our communities, in our neighborhood, in our world. And this is what he says, five habits that starts the quote we just heard. Number one, bless three people each week, at least one of whom is a member of your church and at least one who is not. The third can be from either category. And bless, it can mean lots of things. It doesn't mean necessarily monetary or gifts. It could be words of affirmation, acts of kindness. Number two, eat with three people this week. Shouldn't be a problem for me, I love to eat. Make sure that you eat with at least three people this week, one of whom is not a member of your church. Again, reach out, build relationship, share a meal together. Number three, foster listening for the Holy Spirit's voice. Find at least one chunk of time, preferably at the beginning of the week, and create space to commune with God. Create that space. The daily examine, pray as you go, Lectio Divina, these are things that we've all been learning at First Pres. These are great practices. To set aside that time, listen for the Holy Spirit's voice. Number four, spend at least one period of the week. I love how he just says one period of the week. He doesn't tell you what time or that has to be at 5 a.m. Spend at least one period of the week learning Christ. You might want to maybe study the word at Just Show Up or take one of uh, Pastor Steve's discipleship videos on Right Now Media. There are four of them. They're really good. Or attend Bible study. You know, come to Alpha. Spend at least one period of the week learning Christ, the foundational principles, going deeper. And number five, begin to identify yourself, if you haven't already, as a missionary, a sent one. Identify yourself as a missionary and begin to journal. He recommends journaling. Um, and he says, by journaling the ways you're alerting others to God's reign. Journal the ways that you are alerting other people to the reign of God. You might have done this maybe in your workplace by mediating between colleagues who are arguing. Maybe you're the peacemaker. Or maybe you might have reconciled with a friend or a relative Maybe you shared the good news about Jesus with someone. Maybe you shared your you know, rooted testimony. You shared your story about what Jesus means in your life. Maybe you invited a friend to Alpha. So these are just five practical ways, habits that you can build into your life, the alerts, the reign of Christ in our lives in this world. I'm gonna take a few moments, if you will close your eyes and have a moment of quiet reflection. You and the Lord. Ask him, what are you saying, Lord? What are you saying to me? And what will I do about it? As I close in prayer, and we worship with this one final song. May the words be a prayer or worship unto the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, 
we realize that as you were forsaken on the, on the cross, that you chose the path so that I would never be forsaken, so that we would never be alone, so that we could be reconciled back to you to have direct access. Thank you, Lord, for the curtain that was torn and that we could come before you and enjoy you forever in intimate communion. Your love is simply amazing. Lord, may our lives be a worship unto you. You are our King. You are our Lord. In Christ's name, amen. During the time of worship or maybe in the moments of quiet reflection, God may have revealed some things. He may have brought some things to mind that you want to pray about. And so after the service is over, I want to invite you to come to the front. We have prayer team members and staff who would love to pray with you. Now please receive this blessing as we close our service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be gracious unto you. And may you always know the deep love of Christ always in your hearts as you follow him all the days of your life. In Christ's name, amen. Let us fully appreciate that Jesus died on the cross for us all. His death created a path between us and God. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Keona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Pres on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Pres app. Watch First Pres sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.